Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. Greetings, my good people. What is happening? What is going on? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well. You enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend. But on the eve of the final month of 2020, let us fasten our seatbelts to prepare and plan whatever lies ahead over the course of these next 31 days as we look forward to a new year. Not to say it's going to get better, but we could only make it better with what we map, plan, and execute, as I've been saying for the last few weeks. So what I'm planning to execute here is a jam-packed, fast-paced sports podcast unlike any other here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 166 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, November the 30th in the year of our Lord 2020. If you haven't done so already, I implore you to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Amazon Music, or you could go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about myself, the podcast, etc. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect here on this podcast is as follows. What's the latest with Anthony Davis? The preseason is set to begin a week from this coming Tuesday and no word as to whether the Lakers star will resign with the world champion Lakers or is there another team floating out there to possibly swoop in and grant the services of a one Anthony Davis. We'll talk about that later on as well as everything that's happening in college football which was pretty much chalk. You had a couple of upsets which we'll get into but nothing to really upset the apple cart as far as the top four in college football are concerned. Major League Baseball, Blake Snell wants out of Tampa. That rumor came out throughout the course of the week. Other than that, the hot stove is relatively quiet. You had a couple of signings, which I'll touch on, but Major League Baseball looks like they're going to go through it this offseason, as I detailed last week on the podcast. So I'll touch on some of the Major League Baseball stuff that's happening. For those who watched the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. exhibition on Saturday night, I applaud you. I was nowhere near it, had zero interest. I know the internet broke the other night as far as Nate Robinson getting knocked out there by Jake Paul. I'll spend a couple of minutes on that later on, but really there is nothing to discuss here and I'll explain why. And let's introduce college basketball back into the sports landscape as it started on Wednesday and we already have a few upsets which I'll touch on later in the podcast as well as my hero and zero of the week. I'm going to kick off the podcast here because you have to wonder. If Roger Goodell and company are choking on their pumpkin spice lattes this morning, knowing that they just experienced a week from hell, and it looks like it is not going to let up anytime soon. Because as we know, the beast of the East, West, North, and South, aka COVID-19, is continuing to hellaciously not only attack the NFL, but everything else around it. We could go through the numbers, we could go through the cases, etc., etc., understood, But in reference to sports, when you just look at what took place this past week, where the Baltimore Ravens had to not only have their game postponed against the Pittsburgh Steelers once, but twice, as they'll play tomorrow night, and we'll touch on that later on. 
But you had 18 players, including the MVP of the league and Lamar Jackson, come down with it. Now you have officials from Santa Clara County, where the 49ers play, will suspend any contact sports to be played over the next few weeks, which leaves them without a home. So who knows where they're going to be playing their home games over the next three weeks, in which they have two of them. There are talks of maybe them going to Dallas or Arizona to play these home games, but you see what type of effect it's taken to where they can't even go sleep in their own beds and practice and do the normal day-to-day things in their own hometown as the Niners won't be doing over the next three weeks. You also had a situation yesterday in Denver in which you had no quarterbacks on the roster to suit up against the New Orleans Saints. Not one. And I'll discuss that a little bit later, but this is what you have going as the leaves have fallen to the ground The weather is getting colder in much of this country. No sign of letting up. Cases, as I said, rising higher than the temperatures in Arizona on a July afternoon. And it does raise the question, as much as the shield will continue to plow on, and I've said this for weeks on end, and they're going to do whatever it takes, but you have to wonder if they're starting to sweat a little bit here. Again, at the end of the day, the season will continue They'll try to squeeze in all 16 games, 256 for all 32 teams that are going to play in this season. But now, you really have to wonder whether or not they're going to be thinking about adding an extra week, which would be a week 18. Having to take the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl out of the equation to play back-to-back. All these things have to be on the top of Roger Goodell's desk this morning because... He is right now getting into the eye of the storm. And you knew at some point this was going to happen, no matter what they were going to do to get these games in, as you see what's gone on here with recently with Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And I know it's a bit of a shame, which I'll touch on with that New Orleans-Denver game, why they couldn't postpone that game. So it raises the question with the Shield, not a matter of if this season will be completed, because we all know it will, but the turbulence that it faces Not only just this past week, but what lies ahead is the unknown. And that's what we're going to wait and see here as NFL fans as to how they're going to operate the last five weeks of this season moving forward. Because as of right now, it looks like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. So stay tuned for that. And as we look at the winners and losers, as it will conclude tonight and tomorrow... Seattle will be playing in Philadelphia where if Philly wins, they'll get the top spot in the NFC East thanks to what took place over the weekend in Dallas where the Redskins beat the Cowboys to maintain first place just for a few days and then the Giants victory in Cincinnati. And then tomorrow night you have Baltimore and Pittsburgh, which I'll give a little preview on that and my thoughts about everything that's transpired over the past week, not only just with the Steelers, but also this whole season. Because you remember, this thing started back in week four, where the Tennessee Titans and their COVID outbreak and where the Steelers had an untimed bye and have been playing pretty much every game since then. And now you have this situation where they're going to have to play tomorrow night and then this coming Sunday against the Redskins. So winners of the week, I'm going to start off with the Redskins just for this reason. We know the adversity that they face with that team coming into this year, not only with the head coach Ron Rivera and his cancer that he's fighting, But also, their quarterback situation, they were hoping that Dwayne Haskins was going to be the guy that they drafted from Ohio State a year ago, has not panned out that way. Kyle Allen was the import from Carolina with Ron Rivera, 
who he brought up here, thought that maybe he could blossom, he could bloom under his tutelage and maybe put some fingerprints on this team, on the league itself, where Allen did have some success with Carolina last year. He suffered an injury, so that wasn't to be. And then Alex Smith, the quarterback who has gone through so much over the last two years with his broken leg a couple of years back against Houston to come all the way back to not only win a game last week, but also win three days later in Dallas, 41-16. And that game pretty much turned around on the heels of a defensive play made by an offensive player. At 20-13, Alex Smith throws this inexplicable pick where Jalen Smith is heading into the end zone, look like it's going to be a pick six, but the wide receiver Terry McLaurin comes from behind, tackles him at about the five-yard line. The Cowboys couldn't punch it in. They had to settle for a field goal. And then from that point on, that's where Antonio Gibson and company took over. Even the defense made a key interception there late at 34-16. And the Washingtonians, for at least three days, were at the top of the NFC least, as I call it. But a big win for them. And who knows, although they have a tricky schedule and they do not have tiebreakers against the Giants as the G-Men swept them earlier this year, but they're going to remain in this hunt for first place, for a chance to host a playoff game in January. And just a big job and a good job by them beating the Cowboys there on Thanksgiving. My other winner, and this one would probably even be bigger than Washington, was the Minnesota Vikings. And it seems like I flip-flopped with this team because last week they lost a brutal game at home to the Cowboys. And then here it is at home against Carolina to where they had two plays within 10 seconds Jeremy Chin had two fumble recoveries for touchdowns early in the third quarter. They had a 21-10 lead. The Vikings looked like they were going to be out to sea for this season after them starting off 1-5, winning three in a row, losing that Cowboy game, and then now looks like they're going to lose to the Carolina Panthers of all teams. But they fought back, give credit to Kirk Cousins and company. They got a huge break at 24-21 where Chad Beebe muffed the punt Carolina recovered, the defense stood up, they kicked a field goal to make it 27-21, and then Cousins with his heroics at the end, getting that touchdown there late, although they had to survive a missed field goal by Joey Sly at the end by Carolina, but as I say time and time again, you do not throw wins back in this league. The Vikings right now, if you could believe it, are 7th in the NFC and would make the postseason if the regular season ended today. So kudos to them as they're my big winners this week. And then the losers, I have to go back to Thanksgiving because when have we ever seen the Detroit Lions play a meaningful Thanksgiving Day game? I'm still waiting. This team cannot get out of its own way after their loss to the Houston Texans, 41-25. They fired Matt Patricia, the coach, and the GM, Bob Quinn. Right now, the offensive coordinator, Darren Ravel, is your interim head coach for the Lions. And it doesn't make sense to fire coaches, especially this late in the season, because I get that there must have been a bad juju or vibe that was going around there in the Lions locker room. I don't know for sure, but you got to wonder, maybe the ownership had seen enough. They needed to cut bait with these guys. And now you got to wonder whether or not over the last four games of the season, or five games, I should say, for the Lions, is this going to be enough for them to maybe build some momentum into next year? Or is this going to be a dead team walking? We know for the 2020 season they are, but a dead team walking from the standpoint of coach is gone, GM is gone, 
And the player's mentality may be, well, I'm going to be gone too, so I could care less. Get me on to the next team next year. So that's going to be interesting to see what the Lions do over the course of the next few weeks. But they've been perennial losers. They haven't been able to do the job, even with a guy like Matt Stafford, who, as we've seen, can put up big numbers and has had some very good seasons throughout his 12-year, I believe it's 12 years. He was drafted with what? Number one overall in 2009 from Georgia. But you got to see more from this team. And we get that the division is competitive with the Packers. And although the Bears have come back to the pack and Minnesota has had a little bit of an uprising, even with their hiccup last week. But the Lions should be a little bit better than what they are. And they've just been atrocious. So they're loser number one. My second loser of the week. And unfortunately, I can't really fault the Denver Broncos because with COVID and everything that's going on, But for them not to be able to field a quarterback, and we understand the quarterback room, everybody's going to be in close proximity, and you would think they were practicing social distancing during these meetings and in the quarterback room. There's no way that these guys could be huddled up so close to one another to where they all got it. And four quarterbacks on the roster, not just one, not two, not three, four. So if your name is Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, Blake Bortles, and Jeff Driscoll, You did not suit up or play yesterday. Unfortunately, you had to use Kendall Hinton, a guy who played quarterback in college. but And you can't fault the guy. As much as you want to kill him, one for nine, 13 yards, two interceptions, you might as well have had me a quarterback. But just to think they couldn't even field one guy out of four just goes to show you that the Broncos, for whatever the reason, missed the boat on this. And they have to be my loser number two. And they only put up three points in the game against New Orleans yesterday. And as much as I want to kill the NFL for having the Broncos play this game without a quarterback, their hands are tied. It goes back to everything that I said a couple of minutes ago as to when you're going to play these games, whether you're going to start thinking about a week 18, and we know the Broncos aren't in the mix for a playoff spot as of right now. I would love to destroy them to say, why can you postpone this game to Tuesday or some other date in the future? But with weeks clicking off as we speak, and not being able to squeeze in any of these games at any given point, they had no choice but to play this game. There really isn't anything that the NFL could do. I mean, it would have been fortunate if they had one quarterback and then would have to play 60 minutes without getting hurt. But if you have none, uh, what could you do? But it'll be interesting to see if this is going to be the case moving forward. Now, maybe this will be a wake-up call for the rest of the league who maybe were a little bit lenient or looked at, let's say, what took place in the quarterback room for them to not practice social distancing, that a lot of these other teams will go ahead and say, if they haven't done so already, stay six feet apart if we're watching film or going over the game plan for that coming week. But as sad as it was, and the offensive output that you saw from Denver yesterday, as inexcusable as it was, what was the NFL to do? Maybe if they knew that if four guys didn't get it and maybe three out of the four and they could possibly test not only yesterday but today and even tomorrow morning for them to play Tuesday at 5 o'clock before the Steelers and Ravens were to play tomorrow night, then maybe. But when you got all four guys on the COVID-19 reserve list, there really isn't anything that you could do if you're Roger Goodell and company. And lastly, I got to throw this team in the loser category again And that's the Los Angeles Rams. I get that the Niners got a little bit healthy yesterday. Richard Sherman came back where he most threw to score a touchdown, but also had a big fumble in the game. 
But when Nick Mullins, who did throw the ball around a lot and had a big game there from Debo Samuel, but the Ram defense didn't show up when they needed to. They could have actually stopped the Niners on a fourth and one late in the game as they kicked the game-winning field goal where Kyle Juszczyk got the extra yard to extend the drive and then they kicked the game-winning field goal by Robbie Gould. But they could have put themselves in a better position in the NFC, not only just for the division because they do have tiebreakers against Seattle, but with them losing and Seattle playing tonight against Philadelphia, now anything could happen. We know, watch Philly go out and win a game and they'll be in control of first place in the NFC least. But just a terrible job by the Rams. Jared Goff is Jekyll and Hyde. Did not have a good game yesterday. Actually, it was a very sloppy game by the offense. And for them not to put the throats on the Niners' necks, and think about this, now the Niners are in play here as far as the postseason is concerned as they're right behind the Vikings at 5-6, and six, will not make it to the postseason unless there's an eighth team involved, which I didn't really get into when it comes to the whole COVID mix, but this is what the NFL is going to have to deal with here over the last five weeks of the season. But the Niners are still alive and have a pulse as far as them getting a shot into the postseason. But the Rams, just an awful job by them, so they make it as my loser number three this week. And as we go through the games... I'm not going to touch on the aforementioned Saints and Denver Broncos, 31-3, when you have no offense, literally. Uh, I mean, how could you even talk about this game? So that's one that's going to go out the window. Same for Miami and the Jets. I know the Jets were in the game a little bit at 13-3 there late in the third quarter, but they couldn't muster any offense as well. And you wonder about Sam Donald again. It looks like he's not going to be on this team. Now, although they're neck and neck with Jacksonville, because Jacksonville lost their 10th straight, and I'll get to them in a second. But for the Jets here, Sam Darnold had opportunities, threw some bad interceptions, has not played well. Is it the system? Is it the coaching staff? I think it's more that than him, although he does take some blame here. So he doesn't go away scot-free or infallible throughout this process by any stretch. But at the same time, the Jets right now 0-11, the leader of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. That's pretty much all you got to look for to if you're a Jet fan. As far as Jacksonville, they were feisty yesterday against the Cleveland Browns, but the Browns were able to prevail. Baker Mayfield actually had a very good game for him. But Cleveland, although at 8-3, and three, and looks like they're going to be entrenched in the AFC playoff picture, but very unimpressive. I'm sorry. I understand you got to beat the teams that are in front of you, and you can't dismiss their record. But when we look at who have they beaten, and then who have they lost to, and those losses were to the Raiders, who are falling fast, and I'll get to them. The Ravens and Steelers. So they haven't beaten a big team all year. And it still remains to be seen whether or not Cleveland could take their game to the next level. But for today, 8-3 and three, did a very good job there with Baker Mayfield and company as they win 27-25. Even Doug Marone had some, to me, why did he go for two? And when they took the lead there at 20-17, well, it was about to be 20-17 if he kicked the extra point. But he decided to go for two there. And to me, that was when things started to spiral out of control for the Jaguars, even though they got the touchdown late and they weren't able to tack on the two-point conversion to tie the game. But Cleveland there, 8-3, and three, and Jacksonville 1-10, and 10, fighting for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes with the New York Jets. Speaking of the Raiders, they put up a stinker in Atlanta yesterday. They lose 43-6. to six. They were actually down 16-3 to three at the half, but then the Falcons turned on the Jets, and away they went. They had a big interception return by Deion Jones. Derek Carr and company couldn't do anything on offense. The Raiders didn't even get off the plane, let alone get off the bus to get into the stadium. Just a terrible job by them. And now they've fallen into a two-game losing streak on the heels of the lost Sunday night last week to the Chiefs. 
Buffalo did not have an impressive game, although they won 27-17. But Josh Allen was not good in the game. He only threw 450-something yards. He did rush for a touchdown, and the team was in front. But they were not impressive against the Chargers, where Justin Herbert threw for 316 yards. A lot of that, again, in garbage time. So, although at the end of the day, the stats look pretty, but he did throw for a pick, threw for a touchdown. Didn't have a good game overall. But the Bills, I don't want to say... Kind of like the Browns in a sense of them being unimpressive. But now you're starting to look at this season taken to shape. And you wonder whether or not the Bills are that team that could make some hay and go deep into January. Because although they had a couple of impressive wins early on this season, whether it was against the Rams, even the Dolphins back in Week 2, on the road against Las Vegas, but they haven't been overly impressive to the point where you're going to feel good or feel confident outside of Buffalo, New York, on whether the Bills could have a very long postseason run. And again, it's still five weeks from now. I understand. Jay Reels, calm down. Don't get crazy. Understood. But I'm sure a lot of people, including myself, probably feel that the Bills haven't been as challenged as they should be. And when you look at their record, just like you look at Cleveland's record, and not to compare the two by any stretch, but not overly impressive when you look at the body of work. That's all I'm trying to say. The Giants win in Cincinnati yesterday. It's almost a who cares game, but considering that the Giants right now are in first place in the NFC least, and although Daniel Jones had to leave the game with a hamstring injury, who knows what his status is going to be during the week and into their game next weekend. Actually, Colt McCoy had to come in off the bench to relieve a one Daniel Jones, which is going to be huge because although Jones... At times, another Jekyll and Hyde quarterback can make plays, has a good arm, but he's a turnover machine and makes mistakes in key spots. Not to say Colt McCoy is going to come in there and do the job, but you have to wonder whether or not this could be a big injury for the Giants if they do have their sights set on winning a division, especially if you're Joe Judge, first-year coach, no matter how it looks, even if you're 6-10 or 7-9, if you have a division title in your first year on your resume, it's going to look good. So I'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there with the Giants. But with their win yesterday atop the division there in the NFC East. Speaking of Jekyll and Hyde as far as teams go, what's up with the Indianapolis Colts? I know I could have put them as a loser this week, but look at the last two weeks for them. They win two and a half weeks ago on a Thursday night in Tennessee in a game which they pretty much dominated from late in the second quarter on. And then at home last week against the Green Bay Packers, which they won thanks to a turnover by the wide receiver Valdez-Scantling, and then Blankenship kicks the field goal in overtime. But they put up an absolute bomb at home, losing 45-26. I think Derrick Henry just rushed for another touchdown. He had a monster first half in which he had three TDs, rushed for over 125 yards, and the Colts couldn't get out of their own way yesterday. So now, in the AFC South... Tennessee has the top spot at 8-3 and three where the Colts are now 7-4 and four. and you have to wonder, the Colts, they've been resilient this year and a product of that is their head coach Frank Reich but that was just a bitter one to swallow if you're the Colts and fans of the Colts because you were hoping to get a good grip on that division after beating them two weeks prior and then to lose that game the way they did they weren't even in the game and halftime was 35-14 So the Colts have a lot to answer to over the next five weeks. And the Titans, well, they've been also Jekyll and Hyde themselves, starting off 5-0, and and then they went through a stretch where they lost three or four, but now they've gotten back on the beam to win two in a row. And the schedule's a little tricky down the stretch. They have to go to Green Bay later on this year. 
And they also have to play the Texans twice, which I know the Texans, yeah, what big deal? Texans aren't anybody. But division games can be tricky, as we all know. So a lot of football to be played between now and the end of the season, but it looks like the Titans are the front runner there in the AFC South. The Patriots kept whatever slim hopes of making it to the playoffs alive by beating the Arizona Cardinals yesterday. And to me, what it was, I think, early on the biggest play of the game, right before the half at 10-7, where the Cardinals were ready to punch it in. As time expired, they were trying to get the ball to Kenyon Drake to rush it into the end zone. He gets stopped. I thought it was a bad play call. They actually went to Drake early on in that same sequence there where he got stopped. But that could have been seven points. I know a lot of people would look and say, well, why don't you just kick the three there? And as we look at it, the three would have helped them because it would have propelled them into overtime at least. I like the aggressive play call. I like for them to go for the touchdown. They were at the one-inch line, and there was pretty much no time on the clock. But why not get an extension of the lead there as opposed to six, make it ten? They didn't do so. And then as the game went on, it was back and forth, nip and tuck, until Nick Foe kicks the game-winning field goal. 20-17 is your final. And the Cardinals, who after that miraculous win against Buffalo a few weeks back with the DeAndre Hopkins touchdown catch in the end zone as time expired, they have now lost two in a row and certainly not in danger of missing the postseason, but you could pretty much forget about the division, especially if Seattle wins tonight against the Eagles. And you got to wonder the psyche of a young Arizona Cardinal team led by the quarterback Kyler Murray what that's going to be like here over the final five weeks of the season. I'm not even going to talk about the Sunday night game, Chicago and Green Bay. It was 27-3 before you could blink. Aaron Rodgers throws for 50,000 yards in his career. As the highlight of the game, 41-25 is your final. The Bears are dead team walking, if you ask me, and I thought so for weeks now. Even though Mitchell Trubisky came in, threw for 242 yards, Nick Foles on the shelf, Uh, I didn't watch the lick of this game, so I can't even tell you how good Trubisky was, but you figured that it wasn't good enough considering they were blown out in the first half of that game. So the Bears have a lot of answering to do, especially with their quarterback position, because moving forward, what's going to happen? Foles is made out of glass. Trubisky, he's probably going to be gone after this year, and which was once a promising start to the season at 5-1. They have now lost five in a row and are looking on the outside of the NFC playoff picture. Now, the game of the day yesterday was Kansas City at Tampa Bay. And before the first quarter was over, Tyreek Hill was on a pace, and I'm not exaggerating, for 812 yards and eight touchdowns in the game. He had 203 yards before the first quarter was over, had two touchdowns. It was pitch and catch as if it was Sandlot football. And Kansas City had their way with that Tampa Bay defense in the first half of that game. Now, they weren't able to muster much offense in the second half. They did have a big touchdown there. The connection, Mahomes to Hill, to put them up 27-10. But in that first half, the damage was done. That defense was sliced to ribbons. And the Tampa Bay defense, which gets a lot of clout as one of the top defenses in the league, well, we haven't seen it here in the last few weeks. They got ambushed by the Saints there two weeks ago on a Sunday night. The Rams beat them up pretty good there on a Monday night the week before. And as we know, the Rams are up and down Jekyll and Hyde. And then yesterday, uh, what could you say about that performance in the first half? That's as good as it gets. All different angles, the way Mahomes throws that ball, the way he gets it out of his hand, the quick release, etc. And as I said a few weeks ago, and there is no ifs, ands, buts, babies about it, just hand them the regular season MVP right now. And this is the reason why I cannot stand 
talking about MVP discussions in week four, five, six, seven, or even the first half of the NFL season. Because Russell Wilson couldn't be found on the MVP map right now. And he may finally get a first place vote. But we all know, hands down, who the MVP of the league is. And you saw it there in fine form yesterday at Raymond James Stadium. And the Bucks they came fighting back. Tom Brady had a couple of bad picks there. Especially that second one because they were deep in Kansas City territory. Bounced off the helmet of the lineman and then was picked off there, which was huge at that point. Who knows how the game would have turned out, even if they would have gotten three points there. But the Bucks can't seem to get out of their own way, especially against big teams. Now, we know that they beat Green Bay early in the year in their building there during the MLB playoffs. That was the controversy with Joe Buck broadcasting that game as opposed to a Game 7 between Atlanta and the LA Dodgers. But other than that, they have had some tough sledding here against stiff competition whether it was the Rams or the Saints and last night against the Kansas City Chiefs. So they're another team that's scrambling, wondering what's going to happen here over the course of these last four weeks of the season. And you couldn't have a perfect week for the bye if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan because the last of the byes are this coming week with Carolina and Tampa Bay. So they'll get to regroup. They'll have two weeks to figure things out to try to end the final four weeks as strong as possible. And right now they are scuffling and searching for some answers from what looked like a season that possibly could have gotten them to the top of the NFC for one seed just three and a half weeks ago. Now they're going to be on the road, possibly playing the NFC least in the first game of the wild card round. So we'll uh, wait and see what happens there. And Kansas City, what could you say? 10-1, and one, they're going to put the pressure there on the AFC leading Pittsburgh Steelers, 10-0 and 0, as we know. And I'll touch on that quickly. You've read the headlines over the last week with COVID and everything, how it's impacted the Ravens with all the players that have gone down, whether it's their backfield, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins. We know about Lamar Jackson, Matthew Judon, Pernell McPhee. What type of team are they going to field tomorrow night? We know Robert Griffin III is going to be the quarterback. Mark Andrews, the tight end, also now has coronavirus. So as much as the... Ravens could bitch moan, oh, we're undermanned. It's not fair. They could cry wolf. And even the flip side of that, the Steeler fan could say the same thing. And even the Steeler players who have come out and Twitter, Juju Smith-Schuster, Eric Ebron, whatever. And then one of their own players were affected in James Conner. And I'm a, I'll get to that in a second. But what are you going to do? You cannot push this game. This is a huge game, no matter how you slice it. So the Ravens need this game to not only get themselves in decent position for a wild card, but now with the Browns, a game and a half ahead of them, they have to keep pace with them with a Monday night matchup in a few weeks in Cleveland. And of course, the Steelers, they need to continue to win to stay ahead of the Chiefs and remain undefeated. This is a game where if the Steelers don't win tomorrow night due to the fact that the Ravens are undermanned and depleted, I'm not saying they have to win 41 nothing. But, and with Ravens-Steeler games, you never know. Understood, these games are always close to the vest, down to the wire, etc. But if that's going to be the case tomorrow night, then please, that, that's going to be a tough loss to swallow. Not only because it's the Ravens, but because they're playing with half a team. And as far as the Steeler players making comments, I'm going to be fair about this, people. And you know, everybody knows I'm a huge Steeler fan. Yes, do they have a right to bitch and moan? They do. Is it a little bit too much? I think it is, absolutely. 
as Mike Tomlin likes to say, whatever the challenge is, whether you have to play on three days rest between Sunday and Thanksgiving night, nine days, two days, four days, 24 hours, they're going to be ready to go. And then to have one of their own in James Conner, and we already know about Vance McDonald a couple weeks back, but Conner, who is their feature back as we know, and him having to sit out this game, they need to pipe down on that. Because, heaven forbid, this starts to spread like wildfire throughout the team, and then what are they going to say about themselves? We understand anybody could get this. We understand that it could happen at any time. No matter how much you could stick to the protocols, to all the safety measures, etc., But they can't keep puffing out their chests saying that we got screwed back in week four against Tennessee. Now we can't even enjoy the little mini buy they would have had if they would have played on Thanksgiving, so on and so forth. So they got to chill out with that. As far as the games for an upcoming week 13, now you have the Thursday night game rescheduled to Monday night because with the Ravens playing tomorrow night, they're... Regularly scheduled game against the Dallas Cowboys there in primetime Thursday night had to be moved because there's no way they're going to have a 48-hour turnaround. So they're going to play the game Monday, 5 o'clock. It'll be on Fox. So you have no Thursday night game. But as we look at the full Sunday slate, it's pretty much been like the last, let's say, 10, 11, 12 weeks. Not a lot to chew on. Your highlight games of this week are Cleveland at Tennessee, two 8-3 and three teams, which, all right. This is going to be for, can't really look at it from a tiebreaker standpoint because if Tennessee wins the division, you won't have to worry about tiebreakers. Only if Indianapolis were to get ahead of them at the end of the season, that's where the tiebreaker situation would impact Cleveland and Tennessee. But that's a game that people are going to look at as something to wrap their arms around because when you look at that game or in the afternoon, the Rams at Arizona, there is nothing else to look at here this Sunday for week 13. May I go through the games? New Orleans and Atlanta, Detroit at Chicago, Cincinnati at Miami, Jacksonville at Minnesota, Las Vegas at the Jets, Washington at Pittsburgh, Indianapolis at Houston, New York at Seattle, Philadelphia at Green Bay. Your Sunday night game is Denver at Kansas City. And who knows if there's going to be a quarterback suited up. So that could be 50 to nothing at the half. New England at the Rams, excuse me, New England at the Chargers, and then they do play the Rams that Thursday. So they're going to be out in California throughout those three days or throughout that week. And then your Monday night game is Buffalo at San Francisco. But then remember, where the local officials in the Santa Clara County area have closed down any contact sports to be played over the next few weeks, San Francisco may be playing that game in Arizona or they may be playing a game in Dallas. Who knows? Chances are it probably will be in Dallas, even though Arizona is hosting the Rams Sunday and the game's Monday night. Maybe they'll choose Arizona because it's closer, easier flight from San Francisco to Arizona. Not to say that it's you know an hour flight, but at the same time, it uh, will probably bode better for the Niners to make the trek south and a little east as opposed to going another time zone into Dallas, Texas. And then Dallas at Baltimore, of course, is the 5 o'clock game there Monday night. All right, now let's turn our attention to the college circuit. And the big game of the weekend was Notre Dame and NC, North Carolina, which they did make it interesting for a half. It was tied at 17, but then they were shut out in the second half. Notre Dame took over. They held on to the number two rank in the country, 31-17. No surprise there. It looked like maybe things could have been interesting 
if North Carolina would have taken some control of the game. And they actually did have a lead. They exchanged lead changes in the first half as they took the lead throughout until halftime. But then after that, it was all fighting Irish from then on out. So Notre Dame takes care of business there by beating North Carolina there on Friday afternoon. The couple of losses that we have here to discuss, Texas had a bad loss to Iowa State. They were up 20-10 to 10 late in the third quarter. And then they lose on a late TD run with 125 to go. Now Texas, they were ranked 17th in the nation. Not to say that they were going to be part of the college football playoff mix. But when you have a game at home, Iowa State, who is also highly ranked as well. But for them to have that 10-point lead at home, to squander it away and then lose in those final minutes, that's just as bad as it gets. If you're the Longhorns. And then Oregon was outlasted by Oregon State, where the Beavers scored 22 points in the fourth quarter, including the game-winning touchdown with 33 seconds left. So Oregon, who are looking to try to make it as far as the Pac-12 is concerned, to move up the ranks there to be up there with USC, not to be the case as the Beavers were able to upset the Oregon Ducks. Also, Northwestern was upended by Michigan State. Now to think, Michigan State's two wins were against Michigan who, as we know, not having a big year, and in Northwestern, where they trailed most of the game. Michigan State pretty much had control of the first half and even into the third quarter to where Northwestern actually took the lead in the fourth quarter early, 20-17, to but then the Spartans tacked on two field goals and then added a fumble recovery in the end zone as time expired to win 29-20. So Northwestern, for everything that they've done there in the Big Ten, Squandered a big opportunity there by losing to Michigan State. Just a tough loss. Uh, what more can you say about that? And then the rest of the college football schedule was chalk. Alabama wins, Clemson, Texas A&M, all in big fashion. So nothing really to get crazy, especially when you're looking at the top four in college football. We'll wait to see what happens here as we get into December. We're now down to the final few weeks of the college football season. And as we look at the schedule this week, Alabama will have their makeup game against LSU, which is a far cry from their team of last year, which won the national championship. So you have that to look forward to. Maybe LSU can muster up one Herculean effort for them to beat the Crimson Tide. It is in their building. So just something to keep note, but I would think Alabama will steamroll LSU in that uh, game Saturday night. Your other games of note this week, again, not really much to go crazy about. Ohio State, who didn't play last week due to covid They'll go to play the Spartans at Michigan State. A&M will play Auburn. As we look through here, there's also one other game of note. Syracuse is at Notre Dame. Indiana at Wisconsin. That's going to be a good game. And Wisconsin didn't play last week due to COVID as well. As we all know, they've been ravaged, including their quarterback. Uh, And that's what you have here as we get closer to the end of this college football season, which I believe will end on the 19th of December. So we'll see how everything takes into form. It looks like it's going to be the top four, as we all know, of Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson. But we'll wait to see if anything happens. And we would think, even if... Now, unless Alabama loses to LSU, or even if Notre Dame, which you don't think are going to lose to Syracuse. Syracuse is just awful. And I'm actually going to get to them later on. But even if any one of those top four teams, except Clemson, they'll make it to the final four. Now, if Clemson loses another game, let's say to Notre Dame in their second matchup, you would think for the ACC crown, Clemson's going to be on the outside looking in. So then you may see Texas A&M or you may see Cincinnati or even maybe BYU for that matter. But until that happens, your top four is pretty much set. 
So we'll continue to keep an eye on it as we move along. And speaking of college, I just want to touch on this for a hot second because it was so far off my radar that I didn't even think about it last Monday during the podcast. But the college basketball season has begun. And you already had a couple of upsets to the point where Kentucky at home lost to Richmond. Yes, the Richmond Spiders, which by the coach's admission had as bad of a first half as they possibly could have, but they only trailed by 6, 36-30, and then they blitzed the Wildcats out of the building 76-64, so kudos to Richmond. Great job by them. But you also had Virginia lose to San Francisco, which I'm sure made Bill Russell very proud somewhere in the Pacific Northwest as they won 61-60 over the defending national champions of 2019 because remember, they did not have a tournament this year due to COVID. And then you also had Villanova lose in overtime to Vatech. So you had a few of those games that are already some early upsets to start us off here the opening days of the college basketball season. So I wanted to throw that in the mix because we probably won't talk a lot of college basketball. Then again, we may only for this reason. Since the NBA is not going to start for a few weeks and who knows what's going to happen with the NHL. When we have some of these games, especially with these upsets, we'll keep on top of it. But I know college basketball is so far down the rung of sports right now, even in a world where there's not a lot of sports to watch it's predominantly NFL and then college on the weekends so we'll certainly keep that on the radar moving forward but it's not going to be as much of a priority as the other sports but we'll certainly keep that in the fold in the mix here as we move along the rest of this fall into winter which is now less than three weeks away now from college basketball we'll go to the NBA and the big question here and talk about under the radar the exhibition season which will start December the 11th which is a week from this coming Friday. There has been no news on whether or not Anthony Davis is going to re-sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. And I understand that they've had a very busy and active offseason where they have signed Marcus Gasol, Montrez Harrell, they re-signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and even traded for Dennis Schrader with OKC. But those deals aren't going to break the bank for the Lakers and not re-signing a one Anthony Davis. And I'm not going to sit here to say I have inroads on some rumors or I have a tip on where he may be going or I'm going to drop a hot take here. But you do have to wonder whether or not they haven't gotten the numbers right when it comes to what Anthony Davis wants. And because he's been a Laker for this past year, he can get the five-year Supermax deal. Now, we know LeBron's getting paid a King's Ransom. And has two more years left. Maybe a one and one at this point. Because now he's entering his third year. On his four year deal that he signed two summers ago. And with Davis. It's not a matter of the years. Because we all know he could only top out at five. But it's the money. But it does make you think. If there's another team in the mix. And then people could say Jay Reels please. What other team is going to be able to match. That money. That contract. Or anything in upwards of 200 million dollars. Well, there's a team that's made an overhaul on 33rd Street and 8th Avenue in the borough of Manhattan. And you have to wonder if Leon Rose and company are doing whatever it takes to try to be that team that just pop up out of the birthday cake and say, surprise! Because the Knicks are going to try to do whatever it takes to get themselves relevant again. And wouldn't it be great for them to sign the big man to bring relevance back, not only to a Nick team, but also the NBA. 
Because if people have forgotten, the Knicks are one of the cornerstone franchises in the NBA. And before you laugh and fall out of your seat or, God forbid, drive off the road, remember, they're one of the two original teams that came into this association way back in the 1945-46 season. I think if you go 46-47. Going all the way back. So when you right away want to dismiss or it's a foregone conclusion, which I truly believe and think that it is, that the Lakers are going to sign Anthony Davis. But why are they suspending the drama? Why is it a deal where there hasn't even been a murmur coming out of the Laker camp or out of Los Angeles to say that Anthony Davis is this close to signing a long-term deal with the Lakers? What's with all the secrecy? Why has it been low-key? Now watch, as it usually happens, as I'm recording this, the minute I sign off, you're going to see Anthony Davis resigns five years, 200 whatever million with the Los Angeles Lakers. And then I'm going to look like a horse's ass. And I understand that what I just said isn't a hot take, people. I'm not saying he's going to the Knicks. That would be the hot take. But it does make you question whether or not the length of negotiations between Clutch, Rich Paul, and the Lakers and Rob Palenka, why is this taking longer than it should? And with training camp, which you would think is going to be at some point this week in the exhibition season next week, why is it taking so long? That's all I have to say about it. Speaking of signings, the Heat extended Bam Adebayo five years, $163 million, which was a move they had to make. So to go along with Jimmy Butler, and they re-signed Goran Dragic and Myers Leonard and looking to, to get together to take another crack at making a deep, long run into the postseason and try to get back to an NBA final and win it this time. And a lot of the talk in Miami is maybe one of the destinations for Giannis Antetokounmpo there or Dallas being another destination. I'm not going to get into that right now. Why even bother? I know that the Bucks can offer Giannis the Supermax at five for, what is it, 220 or $225 million? And as of right now, we don't know what's the latest with that. Obviously, it hasn't been news on whether or not he's been extended that offer, which I believe they have a chance to do that between now and the start of the year. Is he going to turn it down? We all know that's the $64,000 question because if he does turn it down, then we all know the next offseason who the top flight free agent and you would think not 29 teams, but all 30 teams are going to pursue him long and hard to get them to that city and that team's fan base. So, That's for down the road. But as I said, the preseason schedule starts next week. And we know that the regular season will start on the 22nd. The first part of the schedule will come out, I believe, in the coming days. They won't release the second half of the schedule. Again, 72 games, no All-Star game or All-Star break, which would have been in Indianapolis this year. But I believe there will be a week or two-week break in between. And they're looking to finish their season by July 15th, which I believe is a week before the Olympics. Is that enough time for the NBA players to go to Japan to play for their country in search of a gold medal? Honestly, I don't know. And even more honest, I don't care because I could care about the Olympics as far as I could throw them. So that's what we have where with the NBA. And then they also outlined a recent memo, 134-page COVID protocol guide. And the guide is very extensive to say the least. You know, have to be gone for 10 days if you're infected you can only work out on your own, can't participate in team activities, must participate even in a cardiac screening. 
You have to have the back-to-back negative test, etc. It's a laundry list and then some. Let's put it this way. It's a war and peace when it comes to novels and this NBA COVID protocol guide, which is the norm before the vaccine, which obviously a lot of news has been broken about the vaccine in recent weeks. But with the NBA, even the NHL, who are having their own issues on getting their season started on January 1st or somewhere around that time, they already have players who haven't even reported to camp, whether it's in Columbus or in Vegas, that have had several COVID cases and positive tests with their own players. I tell you, it just continues to wreak havoc. And not that it's going to stop these leagues as we know, but these speed bumps, these hiccups, whatever you want to call it, we all know they could go from molehills into mountains within seconds. So we'll continue to keep our eye on that as we continue to move along. And then with the NHL, you got to wonder too, what is going to happen here with this schedule and with this upcoming season? As I said last week, the owners have reneged on the CBA that they put out in July on the escrow as well as the percentages of deferred payments when it comes to their players. And because they had to go back to the drawing board and say, hey, now we need to increase that in the likelihood that there aren't going to be any fans, especially for the start. You would figure the first couple of months until they're able to disseminate this vaccine. And the players shunned that. They couldn't believe it. Who knows if there's going to be an impasse? Who knows if this is going to be an issue a la Major League Baseball and what they experienced earlier this year where they couldn't start around Memorial Day or even the 4th of July? Is this going to be a similar situation Here with the NHLPA and the owners remains to be seen, but the clock is ticking on a January 1st start, which will be a month from tomorrow. So we'll continue to keep our fingers on the pulse with that scenario as we move forward. All right, now we get to Major League Baseball and the hot stove, which isn't really cooking right now. Now the winter meetings will take place next week, or as a matter of fact, I believe this Sunday they'll start. They're going to be held virtually. They were supposed to originally be in Dallas, but now... From the 6th through the 10th, everything will be Zoom calls, I'm sure. But you haven't had a lot cooking. You had a couple of signings with Charlie Morton going back to Atlanta, the team where he first came up. Signed one year, $15 million. Feels good to be back, 37 years old. He bolsters that starting rotation with the young pitching that they have. And Mike Soroka, who's the headliner of that staff, coming back from the Achilles injury. But we know about the other pitchers that they have there, Ian Anderson, Max Fried, etc., So they bolstered their rotation by bringing in the veteran and World Series champion of 2017, Charlie Morton. Also, the Royals signed Mike Miner to a two-year deal. He goes back to Kansas City, where he once pitched with them a few years ago. But other than that, you've got nothing cooking. And I said this over the course of the last two weeks, if you haven't listened to the podcast, I think this is going to be a long, cold, hard winter for Major League Baseball for two reasons. One, the climate that we live in with coronavirus and how These owners, including the Phillies, who said that they lost $145 million in 2020 and had their own issues to deal with because they got to pay Bryce Harper the $330 million contract for the next 12 years or 13 years total. Then JT Realmuto, who we all know is a free agent and a big one at that. Didi Gregorius, their shortstop. And if the Phillies suffered $145 million loss last year, what does that mean for the other 29 teams in baseball? So that's number one. And then number two... Because at the end of next year is the end of the collective bargaining agreement. What is that going to mean for baseball moving forward? So you know these owners are not going to go ahead and plunk down six, seven, eight, nine, ten years at 
200, 250 to 300 million dollars for some of these players. Not to say that there's a guy on the free agent market. I don't care. Even if your name is DJ LeMahieu, he's not going to make 200 million dollars. Or even if you're Marcelo Zuna, JT Real Muto, we go through the whole list. So that's where Major League Baseball is going to suffer this offseason as far as the rumor mill, as far as the hot stove, unless something happens next week during these winter meetings where a lot of it does start to percolate. But as of right now, I can't see that happening. But one thing that I'm sure will be all of a buzz next week during the winter meetings is Blake Snell and how his camp came out this week to say that he wants out of Tampa Bay. Now, I don't know if that's more of an organizational thing. I haven't seen any quotes on whether Blake Snell wants out. That could be his agent that was speaking for him. Who knows? But if Blake Snell wants out and you're the Tampa Bay Rays, then why bother operating as a baseball team? Why? I'm not making Blake Snell out to be Sandy Koufax. But if you're going to start trading off key assets on your team, and granted, he'll bring you back a lot. And he is on a very team-friendly deal. I believe he has three more years at $13 million per over the next three years. But it goes back to my original point. I don't care if you're going to get back five studs in return. Why even bother? You're going to break up your team. You're going to break up a big part of your starting rotation. And we all know the Rays is about their bullpen and the analytics as we've seen time and time again. And all you got to do is look at that game six. As we all know, Blake Snell was disgusted. He was appalled, exasperated by being pulled from that game, and rightfully so. But is that the reason why he wants out of Tampa based on that game and that decision by manager Kevin Cash? Who knows? But it would be an injustice. And Tampa, as we all know, they're a team that may not be long to play in Tampa at any point because they have the lease there at the Trop for I believe another six, seven years, I think to 2027. And it looks like there's not going to be a stadium built. Chances are they may move somewhere else. Who knows? Montreal, Nashville is also a city that may be in the running for a major league baseball team. Who knows? But that's just, it's just awful to hear how a team that made it to the World Series, and mind you, they have all the resources and the way that they're able to develop players and put together a roster, a team, fantastic. But then for them, for them to just blow it up or for them to just start to part ways with some of their players, it's just why bother? Why bother being a team? So we'll see what happens there with Blake Snell as I'm sure that uh, rumor will be at the forefront of the winter meetings next week. And then let me wrap it up here with a couple of notes. The first one I get into is boxing. For the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. match there on Saturday night, the exhibition. Now, I wouldn't have watched it if it was in my own living room. I hate to say it. I know that this was for entertainment purposes and everybody wanted to relive the past of these two glorious fighters and we know who they are and have to go through their resumes, etc. But with all the rules that were set for this fight, why would anyone care to watch? You couldn't have a knockout. The judges weren't ringside. If a cut were to occur with one of the fighters, the fight is over. And then lastly, there's not even going to be a winner declared. So why bother? They should have had it three rounds, let them go all out, and that's it. I mean, I I didn't understand the scope of this thing. I understand it wasn't a belt involved. I get that this was just for fun. J-Reels piped down. Why are you going to get crazy? Please, with all those rules, that's like saying, oh, there's going to be an exhibition game between this football team and that football team, but you can't tackle. You can only run for 10 yards, 
and you can only throw a ball for 15 yards. Who, who wants to watch that? I don't. So therefore, I didn't get wrapped up into it. It was all over social media Saturday night, and rightfully so. People are going to get wrapped up in that from a nostalgic standpoint or from a comedic standpoint as it was. I'm not going to get wrapped up in that. I don't care if it's for entertainment purposes. I don't care if it was just for fun, for kicks, whatever. And then when you look at the undercard that night and what happened to Nate Robinson, I get that it's easy to pile on him with all the memes and all the stuff that you're going to see on social media, but I'm going to go the other way with this. I just hope that he's okay, first and foremost, not even from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, psychological. Because let's face it, what you saw there Saturday night, that could be damaging for weeks, months, maybe even years to come. Him dedicating that to the NBA, to his children, etc. And for him to get knocked out that way, and I don't want to hear, I got knocked out by Jake Paul, a YouTube guy, I believe is the brother of Logan Paul, and he was much younger than him. Who cares? I just hope that he's okay. I'm not going to pile on the guy. I'm not going to look at Nate Robinson. Oh, I told you so. Or what are you doing trying to get in the ring? If that's what you want to do, fine. But now he has to suffer the consequences. And the consequences right now, he's going to overtake the Jordan meme if he hasn't done so already. And it's sad. Remember, that happened to Manny Pacquiao when he got knocked out. I forgot against who it was so long ago. But remember, that meme where he was face planted into the canvas... And you saw all the memes after that. Well, guess what? He's been overtaken by Nate Robinson. So all I can say is that I hope it doesn't deeply affect the brother from a mental and psychological standpoint. And that I hope he's doing much better now than he was a couple nights ago. And all I got to say about this, I know Snoop was the winner of the night because of his commentary. But that just goes to show you, if Snoop was the winner of the night with all those fights and the highlight being Tyson and Roy Jones Jr., then you need to watch something else. Because I could care less. People were saying, oh, Snoop needs to now go on NBA games and all. Uh, Give me a break. Will you stop? Uh, But that's the internet for you. And that's what an event like this will have a life of its own. Because now, who knows? I wouldn't be surprised that there's going to be an MMA bout where Dana White's going to look at Snoop to come in there and to be the celebrity announcer or color commentator or whatever and now Snoop's going to have another career and I can't knock it I mean listen he signed up for it he made the most of it God bless him but it just goes to show you it's going to be more of a farce and more of a spectacle than it would be the actual event itself so that's my point there he's not going to be confused with Jim Lantley or Max Kellerman and I understand again it's an exhibition you're not going to have those aforementioned guys there who are renowned in boxing and understood but Snoop, Ugh, I tell you. And then in soccer, you had the death of Diego Maradona, the legendary Artenian soccer player who died at the age of 60. Now, he lived a hard and fast life after his playing days. He had a renowned drug addiction to cocaine, loved to party, was out and about, into the scene, I believe had suffered a stroke or a heart attack years ago. Sadly, he died at the age of 60. We all know about his resume especially the hand of God goal in the 86 quarterfinal, the World Cup there versus England. And what could you say? Gone too soon. Could he have prevented it? Of course. But he wanted to live fast and hard. But sadly, death is going to be knocking on your door. And it's untimely for him. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to Maradona, his family, etc. 
And uh, another giant in the world of sports leaves us here in 2020. Now let me get to my hero and zero of the week to close out. My hero of the week is Sarah Fuller, who became the first woman to play in a Power 5 college football game when she delivered the opening kickoff in the second half for Vanderbilt versus Missouri. It was a low squib kick, downed on the 35-yard line. The coach drew it up exactly how they wanted it, was happy with the performance. Who knows if we're going to see this again in the future with Sarah Fuller or even with other women who are looking to aspire to not only just kick off a college game or a second half, but maybe even become the full-time place kicker. Nevertheless, my hero right there, Sarah Fuller. Hopefully, she could be the trailblazer for many women behind her. She is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is Syracuse Orange Wing quarterback Rex Culpepper for spiking the ball on fourth down after getting sacked deep in North Carolina State Territory. They were down by seven as it was to begin with. So as time is expiring, he runs up to the line of scrimmage, did not have another play in hand, and he spiked the ball to end the game. Maybe that's more on the coach who didn't have another play in his arsenal just in case if Culpepper got sacked. But for him to automatically think that, wait, well, let me stop the clock by spiking the ball, not knowing that it was going to be the last play of the game, it was fourth down, just an awful job across the board. But it's going to start with the quarterback, unfortunately, because he's the one that made the play. Sadly, my man, you are my zero of the week. And I got to give a quick shout out because in that same game, at 7-0, Syracuse freshman Trevor Pena ran back a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown to tie the game, whose dad is a longtime friend of mine, Robert. So I wanted to give his son a shout out, Trevor Pena, freshman Syracuse Orangeman. Kudos to him. Congratulations on that kickoff return for a touchdown and to my guy, Robert, who texted me that. And showed me the clip. I was really happy to see that for him. So definitely want to give him a shout out. Before we say goodbye. And that will conclude. Episode 166 here of the J Reels podcast. Again I appreciate you all. For taking the chance to listen to what it is. That I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. And if you like what you heard. If you thought it was a little goofy, zany. Not only entertaining but also very informing. I implore you to please. Subscribe, rate and review this podcast. On wherever you get your podcast, Whether it's on Apple, Google. Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox FM, Player FM, even Amazon Music. If you just say, Alexa, please play the j Reels podcast, it'll pop up. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there and in turn generate interest with those outside who aren't familiar with the j Reels podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, sports writer, blogger, studio host, whomever that may be, as I'm working feverishly behind the scenes Remember, people, I'm an independent outfit here, one-man operation. So to try to get those type of guests on my show, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because they don't know who J-Reels is from a hole in the wall. So I'm working as much as I can to try to get the popularity and get the visibility of this podcast up and running. So by doing so, if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to send me a question, a comment with some criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do so on any of my social media accounts on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, which is strictly sports. On Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. And also an email the old fashioned way at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please send whatever it is that you want to send. I'll be sure to follow up with you as I love to banter back and forth with people who are interested or familiar or want to know more about the podcast. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to the podcast behind the scenes, keeping the website up. Also, equipment, maintenance, everything that has to do with this podcast from a financial aspect, you could do so 
on my Patreon page. That's www.patreon, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Anything that you want to contribute, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it. And again, that's going to go toward this endeavor to increase the visibility of this podcast from a marketing standpoint, advertising, you name it. Because if you haven't been a part of this podcast for all 166 episodes, or this is your first time listening, 10th, 20th, 100th, whatever it may be, you know that this is what I love to do. It's in the DNA, it's in the blood, to discuss in full depth on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of gridiron, the world of hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.